In this world, there's two kinds of people, my friend. Those with loaded guns, and those who dig. Live from a Montana wilderness fortress, Wednesday nights at 9 Eastern, this is the Matt Christensen Hour. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Matt Christensen. This is the Matt Christensen Hour on Tenet Media. Thanks for tuning in. I am joined, sort of, as always, by my producer down under, Tim. Uh, I say sort of because we're having technical difficulties, so kind of rolling solo right now. We'll see if we can get uh, Tim to join the party, but I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Uh, anyway, you know, you lose a producer, you gain a fancy new show intro, so that's fun. And uh, sorry about the absence last week. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving, and I regret that I had to cancel the show. I legitimately could not talk, and I would have had to cough my way through it. So I promise you, uh, even if you had a long drive or something for Thanksgiving, you would not have wanted to listen to that show. Uh, but uh, we're back at it with episode three here, and it's been almost two weeks, so we'll see if I remember how to produce this thing at all. Um as far as my sickness too, though, I, it's a mystery disease, which is really frustrating. My wife went down to, um, to urgent care the other day. Cause she has the same thing I do. And she's also just about, uh, due to give birth. So it's pretty important that she maintains good health. They tested her for everything. COVID RSV strep, all negative. They just said, you have a mystery virus, go home and rest. So that's what I have too, is just a mystery virus. Um, but uh, we will beat the mystery disease and we will power through nonetheless. Uh, earlier today, I spoke with Green Beret Jean, uh, John Frankman. I almost said John Frankman, like he's French or something. John Frankman, who uh, left the army this summer after a lengthy pressure campaign to get him to take the COVID vaccine, which he never did and decided enough is enough. And he left the army instead. Now he's speaking out, trying to restore some sort of sanity and accountability within the military and defense department. We'll get into that in just a few minutes later in the show. Uh, the story of Deadspin trying to smear this kid who was dressed uh, in a headdress, like an Indian at the chiefs game over the weekend, supposedly because he was wearing blackface. That story just keeps getting better and better. Now it turns out the kid is actually uh, legitimately an Indian, at least much more legitimately than Elizabeth Warren, even. And the Deadspin writer who sparked the whole story uh, has has deleted the he deleted his uh, preposterous tweet doubling down on uh, the claim, but he has yet to just correct the record. So keeps digging those heels in. Plus some other items later in the show, if time allows, including just hours ago, Elon Musk telling advertisers boycotting Twitter to go f themselves, which is uh, as refreshing as it is correct. So I don't care if time allows for that or not. I'm definitely getting into that one. Uh, just a couple announcements here. Uh, as I mentioned, my second son is due any day now, could be any time. So if the show is missing, you expect to see the show on Wednesday night and you don't, uh, check my website and I will have a notification for you if I have to rush off to the hospital because my wife's in labor. Now, as always, I do everything I can not to miss content, except for times like last week when I have a mystery disease, but the birth of my second son is, uh, an important thing I would like to tend to, of course. So that could be coming anytime over the course of the next month or so. And then I also have some uh, super chat clarification. 
and in addition to the show in the form of email questions as well. Uh, last show, I mentioned that Super Chat is now available for this stream on YouTube and Rumble, and it is. And we'll read a few of those to close each show, as I mentioned. Many of you had questions. Well, hey, does my Super Chat go to you, to Matt, or does it go to Tenet, the host of the stream? Now, strictly speaking, your Super Chat goes to Tenet, since this is their platform. But Tenet, of course, is taking care of the production of this show, and Tenet takes care of us. And so if this, shows, if this show does well on Tenet, we do well by extension, so it's not as though Tenet is... Uh, you know, hoarding all the super chat and evil laughing at us from afar or something though. Uh, Tenet has been more than fair with us and Tenet is supporting this show and we are more than happy to be here working with uh, Tenet under those terms. So, uh, so I, you know, I have no problem with their arrangement on that. I just want some transparency with the audience so that you understand where your super chat is going. I also understand that many of you may not necessarily like that arrangement. You may think, well, if there's a middleman, I don't want to super chat that way. And that is perfectly fine, of course. Uh, And I want to maintain a way for audience interaction that is free anyhow. So I thought about doing calls. I used to do the call-in show on Wednesday night. I'm sure many of you are, are former listeners of that show. And we may figure out ways to do calls in the future, but the difficult thing with calls is that, of course, the caller can say whatever he would like to on a whim And so you either need a dump button uh, or you have to have complete confidence in that person. So we may get there, but calls are a little complicated for now. So instead, I'm going to bring back email questions. So if you would like to submit a thought or a question for discussion on this show, I've set up a new box over on the contact page of my website. That's mattchristensenmedia.com slash contact. Look for the MC Hour questions box. And you could submit there anonymously and for free. And each week going forward, Tim will grab a few that he thinks are good discussion points. We won't be able to read all of them every single week. Uh, But of course, if you would like a personal response from me, I can make myself available through the, uh, uh, or I do make myself available rather through the contact page of my website through email as well. MattChristensenMedia.com slash contact to send me a message that way. And I stay on top of those. Tim, I know you had some thoughts about this. I don't even know if you can hear me, but are you there? That would be a no. <laughs> okay. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, hold on. Now you're live. I had your, I had your mic muted, but yeah. Did you have anything well, you wanted to say? Thank you for that, because I, s- I was swearing at my computer when you first opened. I was like, oh, shit, he's running. I mean, I have um, to go live. The show must go on. But I know we had our little, uh, our little avatar bit, and I hope the avatar bit can continue but right now it's like it's it's murdering Tim's computer. It's causing it to crash. Yeah. So I just have to abandon that for the moment. Oh, uh, I might have to during the interview. I have to whip the hamsters or the guinea pigs I've got running the computer, get them to run faster. Yeah. See if I can get it working. Um, yeah. So I was just thinking, as you said, the email questions allow for the audience interaction, which uh, the super chat would normally allow for. Um, there is also the financial support, and with financial support comes the ability for the show to not only run but potentially to grow. Um, now, people may be a bit unsure about putting their money into tenant while they're while it's new and they're getting a feel for it and trying to understand. Uh, and there's also people that just may not be interested in presenting a message. Given that you've run your own channel for better part of a decade at this point. What are some other ways people can try to help boost Tenet without necessarily having to engage in discussion, 
or necessarily having to uh, financially put in? Oh. What other is there well, other methods they could utilize? I, I guess I was thinking of just like audience participation. You know, if you want to be someone, if you're out there and you want to communicate with this show while it's live, I want to fa- facilitate multiple ways to do that. But if you're a person who's just looking to support the show, uh, yeah, the best way to do that outside of uh, you know financial support through my website or super chat or that sort of thing, it's just sharing it with a friend. You know, uh, coming from my my existing YouTube channel where they ghosted me into a corner where you either know about me or you don't. And I will never get a single referral push from YouTube forever. The only way I can get eyes on that channel is by people sharing it with friends and saying, hey, I like this show. I like this channel. You should check it out. And so that, of course, is the easiest and best way to uh, help the production. So thanks for the thought on that. Um uh, Before we get to the uh, John Frankman interview here, I wanted to give a little bit of context as to why I thought he'd be interesting to speak to. Because over the the weekend, I was reading about this ridiculous letter the army has sent to soldiers it kicked out for refusing to get the vaccine. Now, amid abysmal recruitment numbers, the army is telling these soldiers, hey, uh, we will correct your discharge record so you're eligible for certain benefits if we kicked you out because you wouldn't get the vaccine. But also, please come back. We would love to have you back. Please head on down to your local recruitment office and talk to your local recruiter and consider coming back to the Army, which is very interesting considering in, inside of the last year, year and a half, the Defense Department, the Army was telling these soldiers and, and other members of the military, you guys are super spreaders. You guys are a danger to the entire force. Now, suddenly, they're so desperate, they can't retain anybody, they can't recruit anybody. Just kidding. Please come back. So, you know, what happened to the science here? How did the, the science of the virus's danger to our military change so quickly? I think this is a very important story for a number of reasons. The morality of how we treat our, our men and women in uniform, of course. Um, and, and uh, well, I guess, I guess everything that that entails, just how are we going to be able to defend ourselves as a country if we are not able to retain the best and brightest in our military? And in so many ways, this country is collapsing, falling apart. And if we have, if we don't have good quality people to defend us from from foreign threats or even uh, domestic threats, the way this is going, we are going to be in a lot of trouble. So this story uh, is one that fascinates me. And I was reading and listening to reactions to this letter. And I came across a video on Twitter from a, um, uh, uh, a guy named John Frankman and John Frankman is a green beret as in an army special forces soldier, or he was, and he left the army this summer after over a year of pressure to get him to take the vaccine while his religious exemption request was just ignored for eternity. And so I I think this is a really important story that's a little bit under-discussed, certainly in a lot of um, uh, mainstream media contexts. And and, uh, I thought I should probably talk to to this guy about it. And so I did. And um, he was great to talk to. And and it's amazing to me that the Army has spent months of, uh, of time and a whole bunch of resources trying to force guys like this out of the army and out of the military rather than figuring out ways to keep them in, uh, which of course should have been, should have been the focus, but has not been. So uh, with that coming up here is John Frankman. It, it was an honor to have him uh, or it is an honor. I should say to have him as my first guest on the show. Uh, the interview is about 32 minutes long. So uh, I hope it's worth your time and we will catch you on the other side of it. 
And welcome back. I am pleased to host my guest for the evening. He is John Frankman, a Green Beret who left the Army earlier this year after a lengthy pressure campaign to get John to take the COVID-19 vaccine per the Defense Department's now reversed vaccine mandate. Upon his exit from the Army, he wrote an excellent piece in the Floridian explaining exactly how we've weakened our military and our country with a move that we just undid anyway. It's a great read, and I will link it in the show sources for reference. But John, thanks for making time for me, and welcome to the show. Well, Matt, thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, glad to meet you. And uh, my first encounter with you was actually really recent. Uh, It was your reaction to the Army's letter in recent weeks trying to recruit back the guys they kicked out over refusing to get the vaccine. So I certainly want to discuss uh, that with you. But before we do, just tell me a little bit about your Army career. Yeah, so I always wanted to be in the military or at least since high school. And after high school uh, in college, I did Reserve Officer Training Corps to uh, become an officer. Then after doing ROTC and commissioning, had a little bit of a different turn than most take. I went to seminary to study to become a Catholic priest. So was in the chaplain candidate program thinking I was going to be a chaplain. But after discerning after four years that that was not what God was calling me to do, I branched active duty infantry. So I was an infantry officer, went through the infantry basic officer leadership course, which is about four months long. And that's just learning how to maneuver 40 individuals in a platoon. Then went to ranger school, which is an awful place. Uh, Takes two months normally. Or if you recycle like me, it can take five months. So I'll eat that humble pie. Um, But not a lot of sleep, not a lot of food. Everybody loses a lot of weight, kind of hates their life, but got through that. Then uh, went to airborne school. After that, I was a platoon leader in Colorado Springs and decided to try out for special forces. So I went to the special forces assessment and selection, which is a three-week tryout that includes ruck marches, runs, uh, IQ tests, personality tests, all sorts of different metrics, land navigation, team week. So moving a lot more weight than you ever thought possible for extended periods of time. And then I uh, got selected, went to special forces qualification course, uh, which is a couple of years long. And yeah, any anyway, it went through that and then went through military free fall school. Uh, so that's three weeks. That's like military skydiving, pretty fun. Um, so yeah, just did a lot of training, ended up getting the Green Beret. Is there uh, any army training you didn't do? Was there any part of the program you skipped? Yeah. Did not do dive school. That, Ah, uh, didn't sound very fun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, okay. So, so you're in, you've, and you've gone through quite a wide variety of the army's, uh, different programs and then, you know, COVID hits and the vaccine mandate hits in August, 2021 and you start getting, you start getting all sorts of pressure to take the vaccine, obviously, but I was reading through your op-ed and you were writing that this pressure started before the mandate even hit, that once the vaccine became available, there was all sorts of pressure from leadership to get the vaccine before it was even mandatory. That's absolutely correct. And I was reaching out to legal assistance as early as January, February to try to find out what am I legally obliged to do before this mandate actually comes into effect. The shot's available Every pretty much every commander, their metric for success was how many service members they had vaccinated within their unit. So commanders and their like NCO counterparts would do everything they could to drive those numbers up. And as an officer, there's just the pure pressure of how do I weigh against my peers? How do I get that highest rating? Well, usually it's to get yourself vaccinated, to get your service members vaccinated. So kind of behind closed doors, team sergeants might say, Hey, you guys, we're going to do whatever we can to get the mission. So you dudes all need to get vaccinated or else I'm just going to make your life hell. And certain things like this happen. 
was there any kind of incentive for that? I guess I'm curious why they would take on that, that task voluntarily. If there's no mandate, what's the reason that so many in leadership wanted to push this vaccine so hard? Were they rewarded in some way or maybe it was unofficial? I don't know. You tell me. Right. So yeah, there, there was kind of rewarded, I think for career progression. So SecDef saying, this is a, this is the thing that we're, we're pushing. This is something that you need to incentivize. And then looking at, so they would look at how vaccinated a unit is, and then they would kind of reward based on how vaccinated a unit is. Mm-hmm. And the way you can do it is you can write a person's officer evaluation report without, you don't have to necessarily specify why you're writing it the way you're writing it. So there were definitely career incentives. So when I was counseled to for not receiving the shot the first time, I spoke to the major who counseled me and he said he didn't want it either, but he saw the writing in the wall that if he didn't get the shot, he would have been rated 40 out of 40 officers by his senior rater. So your senior rater is two levels above you. That person is the person who judges you, evaluates you, rates you among your peers, decides whether he can give the top 50% a most qualified rating or a highly qualified. And these are things that are needed to progress in your career. So it was very much something that was was meant for career progression. And other team leaders, for instance, when we were going to deploy to Central or South America, which is what 7th Group focuses on, they started briefing the TSOC, the the Tactical Special Operation Command that's in charge of Central South America, I have 12 to 12 people on my team that are fully vaccinated. And that's a metric that they would want to see in determining what where people deployed. So different policies were put in place as well. So for instance, for Special Forces Command made it where it's a requirement to be fully vaccinated in order to deploy. So my team was, uh, we only had two individuals who ended up getting the shot. And because of that, we were supposed to have a mission to a Central American country before the mandate went out that didn't require the shot, yet we were not allowed to deploy because the team wasn't fully vaccinated. So okay. it's you're missing out on so, career opportunities. Well, yeah. and we're deploying units not based on proficiency or ability to complete the task at hand. We're deploying maybe not in full, but at least in part based on who has the shot. That's what you're telling me. Absolutely. And what's interesting is the, the country we're supposed to go to, we had assets laid on from Special Op- Operations Aviation Regiment. So I was on a military freefall team. We were planning on doing military freefall training in this country. But because my team wasn't vaccinated, they had another team that was, I don't know, willing to get it. Uh, Why isn't that took- like a weapons advantage? You're a, you're a bigger threat to the enemy if you're unvaccinated. Why don't we think tactically in that way? I don't know. Well, there was uh, absolutely no common sense in this or yeah. to even consider what are the health. Because my whole team, we're, we're smart. You can find the resources the whole time. Early 2021, people were aware of the potential heart issues that were happening. Uh, they were aware, I was aware at least of the aborted fetal cell piece, which is what kept me from doing that as a Catholic, I knew I couldn't get it unless it was absolutely necessary mandated. And then as I continued to uh, pray about it, I decided, you know what, I just can't do this. Like this disease that I have a 99.99% chance of surviving. It doesn't merit me being involved in abortion, which I find to be absolutely sinful. Yeah. And if I understand correctly, you did go through the process of requesting a religious exemption for the vaccine, which you just explained the grounds on which you did that. And that sounds perfectly valid to me. It's not just some, you know, convenient excuse or something like that. This is a sincere religious conviction that you hold. And if I understand correctly, they did what? They just sat on that request for the better part of a year or something like that. Did you ever get an answer on that exemption request? No, I didn't get an answer. But what's funny is we had a two-star general come. So I submitted the religious exemption request October of 2021. We had a general come September of 2022, so nearly a year later, 
And it was a town hall meeting. And I kind of joked with friends, okay, town hall, we have pretty much everybody there, sergeants up to all the officers, the group commander. Well, if I don't say something, who will? So he's the general's kind of halfway through like, all right, any, any other questions, any complaints, gripes? And I'm like, all right, let me just raise my hand and throw it out there. Hey, you know, hey, sir, Captain Frankman, I'm over in this battalion. Two weeks ago, the CDC um, changed their policy. They said there's no distinction between those who've been vaccinated or unvaccinated. Furthermore, we have 30 of us who can't deploy, we can't travel, we can't move on to different assignments. I've also had an exemption pending for over a year, since October of last year, about a year. That said, is there any talk about rescinding this mandate? And when are we going to hear back from religious exemptions? And he basically told me, have you heard of Novavax? Which I responded, yes, sir. It uses aborted fetal cells too. And then said he didn't want to kick people out, but he would if he needed to. And that when the army tells you to do something, you should really do it. And he's hoping that he can find some middle ground by making up some other vaccine. I don't know. It's the only, the when the hammer is the only tool you have, you just think you got to hit nails. And that's what this vaccine was. It, it's not even a vaccine. I'm sorry for calling it that. I mean, it's experimental drug therapy. Very different. Yeah. And so you obviously did not have your request granted. My understanding is very few people did at all. Is your sense that that was because of some massive backlog? It was just too much paperwork to get through? Or do you think that the whole thing was just they they were handling it with the intent of we are not going to grant these religious exemptions? I guess if so, why waste the time on the paperwork if you're not going to do it? So it was kind of made as a punishment. And what people need to realize is that before the mandate came out to after the mandate came out, Every single decision by by generals, by leaders was to either coerce you into getting the shot either through the carrot or the stick. The carrot was often, hey, if you have the shot, you can get the day off. Everybody else, put your rucksack on. We're going to go to a work, do a workout. I heard about this happening in the 82nd Airborne. If really? units had enough people who were vaccinated, they could get a day off. Yeah, I was just reading up on policy for that. Like, you'll give the Donzo, which is a day of non-scheduled activity. So, hey, if we get to 60%, if we get to 80%, we can have these liberties, we can have these freedoms. So there's that end of it. Uh, there was also a base where unvaccinated service members couldn't use the gym during certain hours. And if they did use it, they had to use a mask. And then there was like four or eight hours of free time where only the vaccinated could enter these places. And then on the other hand, the punishment beforehand was you have to quarantine for longer if you aren't vaccinated after the mandate came out. So for instance, the biggest punishment to me was that I couldn't deploy, I couldn't PCS or move and I couldn't travel. Now, I was ironically selected to teach philosophy and ethics at West Point, but I couldn't move because the policy was made to punish those who, who weren't vaccinated. When I had my religious exemption pending, I couldn't move. That means I couldn't move to go to grad school and to eventually teach uh, ethics at West Point. And if you're hearing anything happening up there, uh, sounds like they need a little more ethics right now. Uh, yeah, sounds like it would be useful. Did I hear you correctly in your video that you had to wear some sort of marker too. Did you have to wear the scarlet letter or were you marked in some way physically as I am unvaccinated? So we were given wristbands that said unvaccinated and we were given red tape to put on our, our gear out in the woods. So okay. this was, this was right after the mandate came out. This was a measure that was meant to mitigate risk, right? We're all about mitigating risks and it's kind of the whole I don't know, liberal idea. We all have to do something like there's a problem. We have to do something. Sometimes the better thing is to do nothing. But at any rate, yeah, we were asked to do it. I told my team sergeant, we talked about it and we're just like, we are not doing that. This is so dumb. Like we'll, we'll file an equal opportunity complaint, but there were other service members who were not vaccinated who did wear that. And it was something to show that you're somehow unclean. You have to keep more space from these people. 
And this is in the middle of the freaking woods. And we're talking like thousands of service members pretending to be at war for basically two weeks. Okay. So you ultimately leave the army on the basis of all of this pressure. Was there a single incident that made you decide that? Or was it just kind of a cumulative thing? Or at what point did you realize, I know I've given so much of my life to this, but I got to get out. It was really that, that conversation, the question I asked the general. So I hired a lawyer because really there's a lot on the line here. And it's not just whether I get kicked out of the military, it's whether I get kicked out of the military with a general discharge, with a dishonorable. And actually, I think Congress had to step in and say, you aren't going to give these guys dishonorable discharges. Um, I think that at one point, the White House said that's something they wanted to keep open on the table. But I hired a lawyer to help write my appeal because basically I was choosing in August of 2022 when I made the decision, do I wait until my exemption gets denied, my appeal gets denied, I ultimately get kicked out. And with 70% of service members getting kicked out, I get a general discharge. That's general for uh, serious misconduct and offense. That goes in my record. That affects job applications. That means I don't have the GI Bill. Or do I step out now because I've lost on deployment opportunities? My team time got cut short. I couldn't advance and go to uh, West Point and do that kind of career move. Um, and I just ultimately decided that I think God could do more for me on the outside and I've lost out enough opportunities. So that was really what solidified that decision. Okay. So you decide to leave the army. It sounds like a, a lot of a lot of guys decide to leave the army on similar terms. Some get actually kicked out for their refusal to uh, to get the vaccine. And that brings us to how I found you, which is the army. Well, as you mentioned, the mandate has not been in effect since earlier this year, late last year, whatever that uh, the mandate was undone by Congress. But now you've got the army uh, and, and the rest of the branches of the military facing very serious recruitment and retention challenges. And so within the last couple of weeks, this letter starts circulating where the army is saying, hey, some policy has been changed. If you'd like a, a correction of uh, your discharge record or whatever the appropriate term may be there, um, we can handle that for you. But by the way, if you'd like to come back, head on down to your local recruitment center because we'd love to have you. We know you were very dangerous yesterday, but please, like we can't hang on to people. We can't get new people. Consider coming back. And I, I thought your thoughts on this letter were, were really useful and really insightful. I'm just curious if you can uh, explain some of those thoughts to the audience for me. Yeah, absolutely. And there were a lot of things that I noticed with that letter originally. One is that it didn't actually offer any new policy change. It really just rehashed that you can apply to get your discharge status upgraded. And that process can take a couple of years. So there was a girl I went up to uh, D.C. with. So she was an Air Force E-4 I uh, don't really know Air Force rank that well. So I think senior airman, but basically she got discharged. She had, she was given a general discharge. She can't go to college, but so she's waiting two or three years in order to get this paperwork like approved to kind of continue in her life. She's 24, would love to go to law school now. Right. So my thought process is one, there's, there's no actual policy change. Then looking on the website, they're not sorry for it either. If you look at their human resource command website, they're saying we're proud of the work that we've done to help prevent COVID and still suggest people going ahead and continue to get the shot. And just to go back and get the, to go to your recruiter, like, so, so it's crazy. There's no policy change. There's no apology at all either. There's no recognition of any kind of wrong. Like, Hey, we could have used you. Hey, we want you back. We appreciate the service you've done before. Hey, it was out of our hands earlier because the president said it, but now that the policy's changed, we would like to have you back. Just none of that. So 
I just was laughing at how ineffective this this letter was basically going to be. Maybe it's just something that they had to hand wave and say they were doing in order to try to fight to get recruitment without actually anticipating that it's going to get better. Um, but yeah, just just so many so many different problems with it. And I think a lot of people don't understand just how poorly service members were treated who did not get the shot. Now, I had it much better than a lot of others. I was at seven special forces group. Usually you're more critically thinking. There's a lot less kind of BS um, within a special operations community, especially Green Berets, a little bit more relaxed, trying to question things. Now, other units, uh, service members were kind of coerced in, in different ways. I was bringing up the 82nd Airborne where you had the Sergeant Major basically say, you have the day off if you have the shot. If not, you're going to go through some grueling physical training. I have a buddy who was in the Coast Guard and he was kept on the boat, wasn't allowed to leave when a lot of others were even to go to mass. Now, this is a friend of mine who went to seminary, like his faith is very important to him. So you're you're doing these restrictions and then after people don't get the shot after it becomes mandatory, then you have to do a lot of mandatory testing. Are you kidding? And those PCR tests are no fun. I mean, I think they go you know to your brain and back again uh, with the length of that stick. Um, so having this kind of treatment threatening people's livelihoods. I was worried, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? What kind of mark am I going to get? And imagine if I had a wife, a family. I mean, a lot of my service, my soldiers, they didn't want to get the shot. I told you we were like 10 to 12, not vaxxed by the time the mandate came out. Well, they all got it because they're worried about their wife and their kids. So just treating people this poorly and not having any accountability and the accountability piece goes far, far beyond just the shot mandate. We've seen no accountability for the Afghan withdrawal, where we lost 13 service members. We left billions and billions of dollars behind in equipment. And basically all of the hard work that service members had done for 20 years is just erased. And, you know, we might be even worse spot now with, yeah. So at any rate, it's just absolutely incredible that there is no accountability. There's no trust. So in order for a person to go back in there, they have to be able to trust that their leadership isn't going to screw them over in the same way that they were screwed over this last time. And there's absolutely been no guarantee of that. So um, really, I think there needs to be a lot more work. And that's what I've been trying to get up to Congress to try to advocate for. Yeah. And, and uh, I'd like to talk about some ideas coming from Congress uh, in a little bit. Of course, uh, you mentioned the carrot and the stick. That would be more the stick method. We will write laws to compel you to do things that you ought to do. But you would like to think and you wrote about this a little bit in your op-ed that there would be some in military leadership who might think, hey, uh, mistakes were made. It might be useful to consult guys like John and ask him uh, why he decided to leave this way and what we could have done differently to keep him or how this could have been handled differently so that we can keep guys of your caliber in the uniform. I fear I know the answer to this question, but I want to clarify anyway, has anybody in military leadership reached out to you in the process of your departure or now that you're gone just to get your thoughts on why you're doing it? I suppose some of it is part of the formal process of doing it, but I mean like not to fill out the paperwork, to really learn why. Has that happened? Um, no, I I mean, when I was leaving, when I decided to leave, I had to meet with my battalion commander and I do respect my battalion commanders. I did tell them that I did intend to, when I was intending to leave, that I intended to speak out, but no, there really has not been much of that. There was actually the formal process of leaving. I had to have an exit interview with the 06, a full bird colonel at the unit, uh, at seventh group. And 
Yeah. I mean, that was, that was very interesting because I, I brought up those questions. Do you think that the order was legal? Do you require, realize it required an FDA approved shot to be legal? Or are you doing anything to look into vaccine hey, injuries? Sorry to interrupt, but could you just explain sure. that really briefly? Cause I, I hear you reference the, the mandate sure. as illegal frequently. And I want to make sure people understand exactly what you mean when you say that. Right. So as a U.S. citizen, you can't be forced to take an emergency use authorized drug. You, as a, so as a service member, you can be required to take something that's FDA approved, that's gone through the whole FDA approval process, but something that's in emergency use, there's certain requirements that come with it. Like certain things have to be set in a way. So for an emergency use authorized drug, there has to be an emergency. There can't be any other treatments that are available that could potentially uh, treat the disease that you're trying to get rid of. And there's no liability for the drug companies whatsoever. That That's kind of like setting the bounds for emergency use authorized drug. Basically, the emergency is so bad that we need to just get something in production that you can take right away. Now, in this situation, as an American citizen, you can't be forced, coerced to take it. You have to also be given uh, kind of understand the full, full knowledge and consent. Now, when the mandate came out, this was August of 2021, we were told that Pfizer received full FDA approval. Pfizer did not ever receive full, it didn't receive full FDA approval. I'll, I'll just say it didn't at that point. Comirnaty did. Now, Comirnaty is the drug that's labeled uh, kind of from the Pfizer brand or whatever that received the FDA approval, but Comirnaty was not offered, some say still isn't, at least until June of 2022. So if you start the formal process of mandating people to take the shot, if you start issuing them GOMORs or general officer memorandums of reprimand, if you make it a requirement for them to do their job to receive the shot, but there's no FDA approved one available, then that makes the, the order unlawful. Now, the Secretary of Defense himself in his August 2021 memo said, I am ordering the secretaries of each branch to uh, to vaccinate, fully vaccinate everybody with a fully FDA approved vaccine. Now that not being available means that you can't commence that order, that any kind of coercion punishment that comes from it just makes the whole thing unlawful. Okay. Thanks for the clarification on that. Um, you, you mentioned just a moment ago, the, uh, the possibility of correcting some of this through Congress. I know there's one proposal that's called the Americans Act, which, uh, well, it, it, it looked like it was poised to pass, with, uh, to pass when they undid this vaccine mandate last year. It's been right. modified. We have some surprising characters opposing it, I suppose. But can you give me some details on what this law is, its prospect, or this bill, this proposal is, its prospect of passage, uh, or anything else that maybe Congress is considering to help deal with this problem? Right. So, yeah. The Americans Act is out there, um, and it was great. Got to meet with Senator Ted Cruz last time I was there a couple of weeks ago, who is a big proponent for this. And there's a number of lists of different um, kind of articles or amendments we're trying to put into the National Defense Authorization Act. Now, the NDAA, National Defense Authorization Act, needs to get passed every year, and that's what formally approves the military's budget. So in kind of negotiations between Republicans, Democrats, they negotiate for what they want in the bill, boom. Now, there's a whole list of different amendments that service members would like to see in there. And the Americans Act barely begins to kind of scratch the surface of a lot of the wrongs that need to be righted within this process. And some of the things that it does do is it would automatically take discharges of service members who were kicked out 
for refusing the COVID shot from a general or a dishonorable or whatever they received up to an honorable discharge. Also, it would allow any service member who would want to come back into the military to come back in the military. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it would also make it where the DOD cannot make another mandate such as this again without congressional approval. And that's something that a lot of people don't understand is that in December of 2021, or sorry, December 2022, when the mandate was rescinded, all it did was it basically took that August order, ripped that piece of paper up, but didn't set any kind of legal precedent that would restrict the Secretary of Defense from mandating this again. So that's another reason why people won't want to come back because they don't know they're going to not be mistreated at this point. Yeah, and the politics of it are a little bit confusing because if you're able to pass the undoing of the existing vaccine mandate, that would imply to me that you're in favor of some more congressional oversight over these matters or you don't want to see that mistake repeated. And yet the Americans Act appears to have some trouble getting traction or people who... I guess what I'm saying is because one passed and the other hasn't, there must be people who are fine with undoing the the COVID vaccine mandate, but don't want to go as far as to say, hey, uh, we're not doing this again for a future one. And Congress is going to have oversight over that. But I suppose stranger things have come out of Congress. It's it's foolish for me to seek sense in the matter, I suppose. Right. And it is extremely disappointing. And it's very disappointing to think that every kind of Democrat is pretty much against the military for not wanting service members back. And then that you also have some Republicans that oppose this legislation too. And I've uh, given a shout out frequently to, you know, Mitt Romney and thanked him for, you know, choosing not to come back next year. But he's one of those rhino, no good Republicans that is just not supporting service members coming back in. Do you have a sense of why? Have you had the opportunity to speak to any of the people opposing this? I'm, I'm just trying to get an understanding of their perspective. Is it that they think that the guys who refuse the, the vaccine are bad guys and deserve some kind of punishment? Or what is their thinking? So I think there might be. So in order to get to a certain rank at this point, it seems as though you have to be political. And hmm. it seems that you have to be a little bit more left leaning because we look at the things that General Milley has said about white rage, about teaching DEI and other such things at the service academies, uh, that that's a good thing. And just kind of the selection of who these different secretaries have been, it seems as though it's more of how you, um, what is that kind of hierarchy, the diversity hierarchy, the higher you are, the more likely you are to be like a secretary of some kind of branch in the military right now. I mean, it's pretty incredible to see what certain generals do. Uh, like a, the AFSOC general, uh, last one, he would, General Slythe put out some video about um, AFSOC unfiltered where he just talked about George Floyd stuff with a black colonel like i don't know and then general brown just goes off about how hey i'm the first air force uh secretary and uh i'm black cool um so it just seems as though you're having this need to be a little bit more left-leaning liberal and these generals are are kind of more or less politicians and now they're interacting with members of congress so uh, i spoke to so senator ted cruz brought someone to um the what is the pre some presidential briefing I, i'm sorry i'm forgetting but brought this this guy to um, where, where every congressman gets to bring a guest. And anyway, this this Levi Beard, who is the service member who was being very much punished for not getting the COVID shot, he was brought in. And then uh, I believe that Mitt Romney's guest was a, was a general. And Senator Ted Cruz was sure to introduce this guy to Mitt Romney because Mitt Romney was actually opposing that legislation to kind of say, hey, here's one of the guys you're totally screwing over that you're trying to kick out. 
And Mitt Romney said, well, this general thinks that this was a legal order. So it could potentially be this kind of old school mentality of you do whatever the hell you're told, you get whatever drug you want to get, and you don't really ask questions about it. And that's just absolutely not, not what we need. We need critical thinking within the military, and we need to make sure we're following lawful orders. I would love to talk to you more about that. I fear that's a question that's about a half hour in length itself, but I'm, of course, I'm a big fan of critical thinking. I, I right. want a society that is asking more questions, that lives by the Socratic method, and that understands the why to each and every behavior that we do every single day. The military is obviously a different place where it's, I mean, you, you take a lot of orders by design. That's what you do. And I'm just curious about your thoughts ab about how to navigate that uh, as a yeah. soldier or a member of any other branch. What is the line between appropriately thinking critically and, you know, being a good soldier who does what he's asked to do. Right. And I mean, we take an oath to support and defend the constitution of the United States. And we take an oath to follow the lawful orders of the officers appointed over us. And there's a key word in there. It's lawful. So you're having to kind of understand the constitution, understand what's lawful. And you're supposed to kind of decipher that. Now, if I go to Afghanistan and I'm told, Hey, you need to like kill everyone in this village. I don't say, sir, yes, sir, and just go off and just murk a whole village. I have to use critical thinking and ask or, or push back on something that would be a war crime, something that would be illegal. And it's the role of the officer to really be asking those difficult questions. And there were enough leaders who did speak out, who did bring this information to their intermediate level leaders who brought that up to higher level where it was either ignored or they gave questions or answers back that just to fit certain political narratives, but th there always needs to be that kind of level of critical thinking. Now, if you're, you know, E1 just graduated basic training, you know, don't, <laughs> don't fall on your sword for everything. Don't uh, obviously use critical thought, but you need to be a little bit more malleable. So there's definitely a balance, but for the officers, for something that's been going on and got implemented in August of 2021, that we knew was going to come for eight, nine months. Well, there's plenty of time for critical thought there, and especially within the special operations community. So one thing my team sergeant pointed out is that this is probably the order that he's felt was the most pressured for him to do. Like everything else is kind of, you're told to do something. You might ask why you might ask, should we even do it? Um, so within special forces, we're selected to think critically. I mean, our specialty is unconventional warfare. We're trying to think outside of the box. We do things through specialized means. So there really needs to be that kind of level of what the heck's going on. And especially if our main mission set is overthrowing other countries, which requires some psychological operations, you should be able to look in and see the level of propaganda being absolutely wielded against us and what the heck's going on in the country. So there, there just needs to be more critical thought, but it is, it's definitely a balance, but it's never to do something that's, um, that's illegal. Yeah. Always better to err on the side of asking the why question, I would say, than Falling in line, even in uh, lines of work where you are asked to fall in line quite regularly. But uh, I asked you for a half hour of your time, and I want to be respectful of that. So that is uh, my guest, John Frankman. John, I have your link tree in the description so people can find you. But is there any particular place you'd like to send them? Yeah, uh, brother, just help me make a website so you can go to uh, johnfrankman.com. Um, so that should be a little bit more informative than the link tree. And then you can obviously... Uh, I always tell people, you know, before you follow me, follow Jesus Christ, consider that. But then after, if you still want to follow me on social media, you can find me at Johnny underscore Franks on both Twitter and Instagram. 
properly ordered. Well, thank you for making time for the show. And of course, thank you for your service to this country. Thanks for having me, Matt. I appreciate it. Welcome back. Thanks again to my guest, John Frankman. Find him at johnfrankman.com and all his links with the Linktree link in the description as well. Great dude. Makes me sad uh, and worried that we are losing guys like him in the army, but I'm sure he is on to great things regardless. Hey, uh, look what's back. The, uh, The Avatar. And now he has a fancy Outback background. Is the Outback background what was crashing? The computer? I have no clue. I think it might have actually been a conflicting program. I'm going to have to test a little bit later on to see if I can make sure it doesn't happen again. But yeah, so I'm not sure. uh, I'm glad to see that your character has recovered, at least for the moment. But there are uh, a few stories I want to discuss before we're done for tonight. Um, Speaking of national collapse, that's exactly what our national Christmas tree did last night in what might be a perfect metaphor for the state of the country, it collapsed. More specifically, it fell down in high winds in the D.C. area. Here is a report from last night. The 40-foot-tall National Christmas tree imported from West Virginia was felled by a gust of wind. The colorful strand of lights wrapped around it remained lit as it laid horizontal in the ellipse between the White House South Lawn and the Washington Monument. This is a headache for a National Park Service hoping to host the president at a tree lighting this Thursday, two days from now. But they told us, and this is a quote, the show must go on. A crane hoisted the Norway spruce into a vertical position again. President Biden was aboard Air Force One en route to Colorado as this all went down, literally went down. Pretty good as far as symbols and metaphors go. I would say nothing will be better or a better symbol of the Joe Biden presidency than him falling up the stairs of Air Force One. The uh, the ultimate summary of his time in office, stumbling and falling while somehow still ascending to office with the most votes ever achieved. But then I thought about this and I thought, well, even if it's not as good as Joe Biden falling up the stairs, there's some symbolic value here. It is at least this is exactly what they do with their jobs and economic propaganda. The numbers fall down because of artificial government intervention during COVID. And then as jobs simply come back, or in this case, as they put the tree back up where it was, they'll call it growth. So even though it's just returning things uh, back to where they were before the government did all of its damage, in that spirit, I'm expecting Corinne Jean-Pierre to call this the most Christmas tree growth the White House has ever seen. And if it falls down just one more time and they put it back up, then they will really have an unbeatable record. Uh, Tim, I see you have some thoughts on this. Yeah, I mean, I was going to make a joke here, but you kind of stole my thunder a bit with some of your comments. I'm the so only joke maker around here. Fair enough, fair yeah. enough. Um, it is actually a representation of Biden and a specific moment. Now, you mentioned when he fell up the stairs going up into Air Force One. I don't know. Do you? Rem- I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember what they said when that happened? The explanation they gave. Well, I see you put it in the note. I don't remember this, but I see that 
somebody at the time said the wind got him. It was the wind that yeah, knocked they, him they over. They literally told us that there was a strong wind that pushed him over because apparently a strong breeze was somehow less embarrassing than just saying, yeah, he's an old dude that struggles to walk. It's kind of embarrassing that that's your two choices. Like, which one of those is more embarrassing? Um, but it's also kind of representative of, I think, how he's going. There was a new poll that came out, uh, I think only within the last couple of days, I believe it was a Gallup poll from memory, uh, that has him at 27% approval among independent voters, which I just look at that and I go, I don't know how you recover from that. I mean, he's... Oh, he'll recover. He's got he'll recover to get the most votes from independents that anybody has ever achieved. Don't you worry about that. So, well, I mean, he's got a little under a year now between now and uh, when the thing. Uh, so you don't think he's just electri- electorally dead at this point? Oh, no, no, I do not at all. I have full faith in the fortification. Uh, we'll do a I'm sure we'll have some sort of election night stream. It won't be on election night, but we'll be, I guess, on the Wednesday after uh, election night next year. And uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I have no doubt at that time. All the fortification will be just coming in. Don't you worry. Uh, yeah, I've heard. I have heard a lot of people say that, but I look at it and go, surely there's a point where the where the gap or the landslide becomes too big to overcome. Uh, well, so I, I guess we'll know. find Maybe out in a disagree. year. We'll have to yeah, we'll have yeah. to set some odds and place some bets on that one. But I want to leave uh, plenty of time for what is one of the major stories of the week so far, which is. Deadspin going after this this young uh, Chiefs fan at the Las Vegas Raiders Kansas City Chiefs game on Sunday and this was Deadspin writer Karen J Phillips. Now it is appropriate that his name is Karen, but no it's not K A R E N, it's C A R R O N. But I I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Karen, so that's fitting. But he published this article titled The NFL needs to speak out against the Chiefs fan in blackface and native headdress apparently trying to bring ire or at least the ire of the entire NFL and media and everybody else uh, onto this who's who the author is describing as a chiefs fan. But of course it's not just a chiefs fan as in a guy in the stands. It appears to be a 10 year old boy, possibly younger. His blackface crime as shown in the headline image is uh, curiously a side profile that was ripped from the TV broadcast by somebody who was mad about it on Twitter, apparently. But by now you've seen the full picture of the full face. This Deadspin writer either pulls his stories from one uncritical look at one tweet, or he actually scoured for one misleading angle of this kid, which is also entirely possible, but neither are good, of course. This writer and the publication accused this kid of attacking uh, black people and Indians simultaneously. That was in the article here. Quote, It takes a lot to disrespect two groups of people at once, but on Sunday afternoon in Las Vegas, a Kansas City Chiefs fan found a way to hate black people and the Native Americans at the same time. Okay, but as we know, this kid was not wearing at least full-on blackface. He had half of his face painted red, which of course is the Chiefs primary color and there are plenty of images of this kid circulating around he was actually really popular in the stands there's a lot of video but here here is him leading a very bigoted tomahawk chop cheer uh, on the chief sideline during the game
Tim, you said he committed the sin of smiling. I have not seen any fit- photos of him smiling. Did he commit the, the Covington crime of smiling too uh, much? Where's the smirk? I've seen a couple of I've seen a couple of photos where yeah, he is smiling, which we all know is a clear sign of racism. So well, I, I, I just find it disgusting. I can't believe it. This know? kid probably is going to become the next Nick Sandman. They're each going to have private islands next to each other where they just sip drinks into their elder years because they're rich off of journalist money for the rest of their lives. It's probably what's going to happen here. But maybe not. Deadspin seems to be pretty confident. At least uh, their actions imply that they are. Um, because even if, uh, well, we have the double down, then we have Deadspin just not really doing anything about it. Because uh, even if this Deadspin writer, Karen Phillips, is such a lazy idiot that he saw one photo in one tweet and he wrote some obnoxious article about it, well, that would still be better. If he just left it there, it would be better than what he did next. He could have admitted to being lazy and obnoxious and just retracted the article. Instead, he doubled down and lectured us all more. He said, no, the fact that this kid's face was painted black and red is worse, actually. Now, I don't even understand his reason as to why it's worse, but he tweeted this, quote, for the idiots in my mentions who are treating this as some harmless act because the other side of his face was painted red, I could make the same argument that it makes it even worse. Y'all are the ones who hate Mexicans, but wear sombreros on Cinco. I don't understand what A has to do with B. I don't know what he even means by that. Uh, he's incapable of acknowledging the egg on his own face here. But Tim, you say you have an explanation for what he means. Oh, I, I can't guarantee this is true. And I'm not even sure once I say it, it's going to make sense what I'm trying to say. Um, and I'm glad I'm not the only one that didn't understand this. I was reading it just going, hang on, what does he mean? I thought about it. I have a theory that what he meant is he, basically he's saying you can hate a people or a group of people but still want to celebrate and engage in their culture. So you can hate Mexicans, but you can still want to celebrate in their cultural events. I mean, I know that I, doesn't really make sense. I yeah, I get that concept. Tweet, I just don't understand how the half red face relates to that even. Well, I, my my other theory for that is he's basically thinking that the kid is doing red face because isn't red kind of the color people associate with the Indians. Yeah, I guess I, I I didn't think he was going with that, but maybe that is what he means. I don't know. I I don't know. It's the best explanation I could come up with. And I could be wrong because this seems like such an insane thought process. So who knows? He deleted the tweet. So apparently he doesn't stand by it anymore. But meanwhile, we have no correction from deadspin. Uh, And I, I, as I mentioned, I would like to think that deadspin is worried about getting, Nick Sandman, as in some kind of massive defamation suit coming their way. But their actions don't really make it seem like they are. Because Deadspin to date, this is some 60 hours after the publication, they have still not added uh, any editor's note or change to the deserved, uh, or, or any change to uh, to the to the uh, article in the first place. So no change to the to the article, no retraction. It remains completely unedited as does um, Deadspin's tweet promoting the article as well. Uh, Tim, what do you want to say? Uh, I do want to point out with the Nick Sandman case, I believe the initial thing blew up on the 18th of January. I think it was about five days before he did that Savannah Guthrie interview. So it took them a long time to really sort of address it. So at this point, they've got a little, you know, they're not quite at the level that the other media was during that case. 
Uh, but still, it is a long time to not do something. So. Just wait till Savannah Guthrie's on the case. What was her line in that interview? Something like, you were standing there aggressively. I can't remember yeah, exactly yeah. how she phrased it, but something like It was like basically that. the SpongeBob meme of, he's standing there menacingly. Yeah, exactly. She basically did that in a literal interview. Well, here's a twist in this case. Uh, it does make it even more hilarious. The kid is actually an Indian himself, at least partially. And if Elizabeth Warren counts, then this kid definitely counts. This kid's name is Holden. He's from California. Uh, as noted by a Chiefs fan Facebook page, Holden's grandfather is on the Chumash tribe board in Santa Inez, uh, an Indian tribe in California. The boy's mother has since confirmed on Facebook that he does indeed have Native American heritage. Still no response to this fact from the writer, uh, and again, appropriately named uh, Karen Phillips over at Deadspin, or from the publication Deadspin, as far as I've seen. Karen Phillips has simply disabled replies on Twitter, and he keeps tweeting about other unrelated sports topics and the NFL. I saw him unironically retweeting Hillary Clinton attacks on Trump, so he has more important things to tend to, just going to move on, apparently. But one thing I want to discuss it with this story, too, does it actually matter if his face was all black anyway? I know that it matters from just journalists getting facts right, and it matters showing the journalist's intent here was to presumably conceal the truth that the other side of his face was red. But I, especially when we're talking in the context of a kid and also in the context of a football game where people dress up in ridiculous costumes all the time. Uh, I don't care if this kid is white. I don't care if his face, uh, and by that, I mean fully white, no native American heritage. I don't care if his face was painted fully black. It's called a costume it's called fun. And if you're offended by it, maybe you're the problem in the situation. And maybe you remove yourself instead of demanding that everybody else be removed. And again, that goes double when you're talking about a kid. I don't even care if this kid was dressed up as an overt racial stereotype. I don't care if his face is entirely black and he has the bucket of fried chicken in one hand and the watermelon in the other. He is a kid and we don't put kids on blast in the media. And if you do, you're a scumbag and it doesn't matter what color the face is painted or how butthurt you are about it. And I want to make that really clear. It's not, it's not just that this kid is in fact an Indian or just because one side of his face was painted a color that he gets to get away with this. I don't care what sort of face paint crimes kids commit. Uh, we should not be going after them in this way. Tim, you had a thought. Yeah, just to add to what you're saying there, it kind of is the thing that frustrated me about the Kyle Rittenhouse case. People are seemingly expecting the children to be the responsible ones in whatever the situation happens to be. And it just kind of bugs me. It's like you do have to recognise kids are at a certain level of development, adult, adults are at a certain level of development. Even if it was blackface, blame the parents, not the kids. Stop expecting the kids to be the responsible ones. Yeah, judging by his uh, Twitter account, uh, Karen Phillips, the author here, this is the most traffic the guy has ever generated for Deadspin. He is a senior writer over at Deadspin. So I'm, I'm wondering if maybe that's Deadspin's thinking too. They bet there isn't going to be any legal action. They're just going to scoop this traffic revenue without a care. Who cares if everyone's mad at them? They're still clicking. It's pretty scummy if you're willing to earn a few bucks off attacking an innocent kid, but I wouldn't put it past them. Uh, reminder, no matter how much you think you hate the media and journalists, you don't hate them enough. 
All right. I know we are at the top of the hour, but I, I mentioned I have to talk about this Elon Musk moment earlier today. So I will do that briefly and then uh, we'll catch up with uh, any super chats or any thoughts the audience may have. But this was just a few hours ago. Elon Musk did an interview with Andrew Ross Sorkin from the New York Times and the topic of the ongoing advertiser boycott over on Twitter or X came up. Recall several advertisers are now boycotting Twitter after Media Matters uh, issued a report claiming that ads were appearing next to neo-Nazi content, even though it sure looks a lot like Media Matters farmed the algorithm to get some Apple ad on a neo-Nazi tweet one time. And when I say one time, I'm not exaggerating.